Chapter Five of Comic History of England by Bill Nye. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, June second, two thousand seven, in honor of Jim's university graduation. Chapter Five: The Troublous Middle Ages. Demonstrating a short reign for those who travel at a royal gate. The Ethels now made an effort to regain the throne from Edward the Elder. Ethelwald, a nephew of Edward, united the Danes under his own banner, and relations were strained between the leaders until 1905, when Ethelwald was slain. Even then, the restless Danes and frontier settlers were a source of annoyance until about 925, when Edward died but at his death he was the undisputed king of all Britain, and all the various sub-monarchs and associate rulers gave up their claims to him. He was assisted in the affairs of state by his widowed sister, Ethelfleda. Edward the Elder had his father's ability as a ruler, but was not so great as a scholar or literature. He had not the unfaltering devotion to study nor the earnest methods which made Alfred great. Alfred not only divided up his time into eight-hour shifts, one for rest, meals, and recreation, one for the affairs of state, and one for study and devotion, but he invented the candle with a scale on it as a timepiece, and many a subject came to the throne at regular periods to set his candle by the royal lights. Think of those days when the sergeant-at-arms of Congress could not turn back the clock in order to assist an appropriation at the close of the session, but when the light went out, the session closed. Athelstan succeeded his father, Edward the presiding elder, and resembled him a good deal by defeating the Welsh, Scots, and Danes. In those days agriculture, trade, and manufacturing were diversions during the summer months, but the regular business of life was warfare with the Danes, Scots, and Welsh. These foes of England could live easily for years on oatmeal, sour milk, and cod's heads, while the fighting clothes of a whole regiment would have been a scant wardrobe for the Greek slave, and after a two centuries of almost uninterrupted carnage, their war debt was only a trifle over eight dollars. Edmund, the brother of Ethelston, at the age of eighteen, succeeded his brother on the throne. One evening, while a little hilarity was going on in the royal apartments, Edmund noticed among the guests a robber named Leolf, who had not been invited. Probably he was a pickpocket, and as a royal robber hated anybody who dropped below grand larceny, the king ordered his retainers to put him out. But the retainers shrank from the undertaking. Therefore Edmund sprang from the throne like a tiger, and buried his talons in the robber's tresses. There was a mixture of feet, legs, teeth, and features for a moment, and when peace was restored, King Edmund had a pocket-watch full of blood, and the robber chieftain was wiping his stabber on one of the royal tidies. Edred now succeeded the deceased Edmund, his brother, and with a heavy heart took on the eternal job of fighting the Danes. Edred set up a sort of provincial government over Northumberland, the refractory district, and sent a governor and garrison there to see that the Danes paid attention to what he said. St. Dunstan had considerable influence over Edred, and was promoted a great deal by the king, who died in the year 955. He was succeeded by Edwy the Fair, who was opposed by another Ethel, 
between the Ethels and the Welsh and Danes, there was little time left in England for golf or high tea, and Edwy's reign was short and full of trouble. He had trouble with St. Dunstan, charging him with the embezzlement of church funds, and compelled him to leave the country. This was in retaliation for St. Dunstan's overbearing order to the king. One evening, when a banquet was given in honor of his coronation, the king excused himself when the speeches got rather corky, and went into the sitting-room to have a chat with his wife Algeva, of whom he was very fond, and her mother. St. Dunstan, who had still to make a speech on foreign missions, with a yard or so of statistics, insisted on Edwy's return. An open outbreak was the result. The church fell upon the king with a loud annual report, and when the debris was cleared away, a little round-shouldered grave in the churchyard held all that was mortal of the king. His wife was cruelly and fatally assassinated, and Edgar his brother began to reign. This was in the year 959, and in what is now called the Middle Ages. Edgar was called the Pacific. He paid off the church debt, made Dunstan Archbishop of Canterbury, helped reform the church, and, though but sixteen years of age when he removed all explosives from the throne and seated himself there, he showed that he had a massive scope, and his subjects looked forward to much anticipation. He sailed around the island every year to show the Danes how prosperous he was, and made speeches which displayed his education. His coronation took place thirteen years after his accession to the throne, owing to the fact, as given out by some of the more modern historians, that the crown was at Mr. Isaac Einenstein's all this time, whereas the throne, which was bought on the installment plan, had been redeemed. Pictures of the crown wore by Edgar will convince the reader that its redemption was no slight task, while the mortgage on the throne was a mere bagatelle. A bright idea of Edgar's was to ride in a rowboat pulled by eight kings under the old regime. Personally, Edgar was reputed to be exceedingly licentious, but the historian wisely says these stories may have been the invention of his enemies. Greatness is certain to make of itself a target for the mud of its own generation, and no one who rose above the level of his surroundings ever failed to receive the fragment attentions of those who had not succeeded in rising. All history is fraught, also, with the bitterness and jealousy of the historian except this one. No bitterness can creep into this history. Edgar, it is said, assassinated the husband of Elfrinda in order that he might marry her. It is also said that he broke into a convent and carried off a nun. But doubtless, if these stories were traced to their foundations, politics would account for them both. He did not favor the secular clergy, and they, of course, disliked him accordingly. He suffered also, at the hands of those who sought to operate the reigning apparatus whilst his attention was turned towards other matters. He was the author of the scheme whereby he utilized his enemies, the Welsh princes, by demanding three hundred wolf-heads per annum as tribute instead of money. This wiped out the wolves, and used up the surplus animosity of the Welsh. As the Welsh princes had no money, the scheme was a good one. Edgar died at the age of thirty-two, and was succeeded by Edward, his son, in 975. The death of the king at this early age has given to many historians the idea that he was a sad dog, and that he sat up late of nights and cut up like everything. But this may not be true. Death often takes the good, the true, and the beautiful whilst young. However, Edgar's reign was a brilliant one for an Anglo-Saxon, and his coonskin cap is said to have cost over a pound sterling.
End of chapter 5